I'm not. I'm not gonna watch an 857 hour movie. I'm How not. many days is that? Do the math. Can you bust out the I calculator? Mean, he already did the math. What is so it? So it's like 30 days continuous. Shit, 30 days continuous. He didn't watch it 30 days continuous. He, he broke said it up over between long nine and 13 hours a day. Yeah, that's crazy, man. No, it's super crazy. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by Sharice Poon and Eugene Can. All right, Sharice, you have a weird one for me this week. I want you to explain, A, how you came across this piece, what it entails, and why it was interesting to you. I'm pretty sure... I came across this piece on Twitter, which is where I find a lot of stuff. I'm also relatively certain that it came from a author, professor named Shannon Mattern, who tweeted it. It's an essay on the site Passage, written by Ashley Darrow, titled, I watched an 857-hour movie to encounter capitalism's extremes. And essentially what this is, is that Ashley Darrow, the author, comes across the world's longest movie while just researching... Is it really a movie, though? Okay. Longest available video? <laughs> yeah, it's, like an, it's available, like an art Let's just call it longest available piece. video, okay? Well, the author was just generally researching long videos. And so, for example, he came across this other art piece called 24 Hours Psycho, which is Psycho, the movie extended to be 24 hours in length. And then he came across this other art piece, which is the one in question, called Logistics Art Project, so therefore definitely an art project, produced by two Swedish artists in 2008, Erica Magnusson and Daniel Anderson. Okay, in brief, what it is, is that they wanted to reveal what logistics feels like. They, They wanted to explore, can we better understand what it takes for a product to go from the factory into the consumer's hand? Yes. And as a result, they chose a very boring, mundane object, a pedometer, and they traced it from where they got it in Sweden, reverse backwards to the factory in Shenzhen. Yep. And filmed the entire cargo ship journey, essentially. The, the stationary, vast, though. Stationary, though, right? The, the camera is stationary. Yes. The boat is not. Of course, of course. Right. So the vast, vast, vast majority of this movie, not movie, is a boat traveling through it's know, mostly like one angle right yeah just one angle yeah it's, it's, it's static i it's mean it's, it's not it's, it's an art project as you said it's not a movie yeah. with a plot right don't ever call it and a so movie the only the, the point of both the art project and darrow watching it like the, this author actually sat down and watched all of it over i think like three or four months or something like that was to try to get a more concrete feeling of how capitalism functions yeah this is my takeaway and that, that's why I found it interesting, because I, I think it's true. I think it's true that we talk a lot about capitalism, like you and I. And, and in general, I think people talk about, like, how consumption happens, like buying behavior. But none of us have a real lived experience of what it takes for a product to go from creation into someone's home. This is really interesting because I but I do don't agree with your point, but also it's just different. No, you, no, no. I like, agree. No, because I have an experience. I have. Uh, I have oh, an experience okay, okay. with I it. I don't. Then. Which is I don't. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Because actually, it's it's this is more of it like a tangent. But like in the last like two weeks, I've been like really racking my brain. It's like boring agency talk, but like, in short, figuring out 
the challenges for brands to kind of like keep a tight, concise sort of positioning of their brand in light of all the steps it takes to create a brand and a product. So what I mean is like, hey, let's use this example of a beer company, right? Okay, what is like the new product they're going to release? What's the brief objective? Who's it for? And then then you go to like, you know, the manufacturing stage of it. Then you go to the marketing stage. Then you go to like the campaign creation stage for the marketing strategy. And then meanwhile, you still have to keep tabs on like what was the original objective of this product. So basically like that's one thing I've been acutely aware of is like hey you know a lot of things fall out of sync in this process anyways that's no that, i'm that's, sure i'm sure but I, I i'm not disputing that you have awareness of how an object gets created from this perspective but what i mean in like the perspective generally of an people object don't is like yes generally other people don't even have that perspective but i, I mean the the physical object that's i mean you other people obviously do people who work in factories people who work in shipping there are obviously many people who are the truck drivers and boat drivers in the world, but they're not you and I and actually probably not the majority of our listeners, right? So I think that's what is interesting or curious to me is this actual physical movement, like what it takes for us to just pick up a product in 7-Eleven and check out in five seconds. Yep. Does, does, it, does it make yeah. sense? Like, yeah. Because our experience, or mine, sorry, not to be like so general, my experience of a product is... I walk across the street and I go into a store and I pick it off the shelf and I pay money and I have this object. Yeah. And this is an illusion, right? Well, not an illusion. Like the, the speed of it is inaccurate. Yeah. Like as in the inaccuracy is we don't realize how long it takes, how much has to move around the world in order for us to possess the things that we do. Like that's what I think is kind of remarkable. There is this. one passage in this piece that stood out to me. I don't know if you saw it. Like, if it had the same impact to you, but I'll, I'll read it. Oh, man, I don't even know how to pronounce this. In Grundesi, an unfinished text eventually published in 1939, Karl Marx first developed the idea that capitalist social relations have a way of compressing time and space. New technologies driven by the profit motive hasten the pace of everyday life until everything from our labor to our love is nothing but a blur. So that basically encapsulates everything you've said. Like, time is just... You know, it, it, it's this weird thing where we're all aware of it, but then in the context of capitalism, it's like, it's almost pushed to the side away, in a yeah. way, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the passage that I think I remember, and which is, just comes a little after the one you quoted, is when Darrow writes, The very living space of my existence throughout logistics became part theater, part crow's nest, and partly a mass to which I was willingly chained. The spatial relation between durational cinema and the physical activity of watching this movie created a momentary rupture in capitalistic spatial-temporal relations. So it's not just that the movie does this, but also that the author chose to dedicate this insane amount of time to watching this movie. Was that, I mean, it's kind of like performance art, like this decision to remove themselves from, as they call it, uh, capitalistic spatial-temporal relations. And I guess it just got me thinking about, I'm not, I'm not going to watch an 857-hour movie. I'm How not. many days is that? Do the math. Can you bust out the I calculator? Mean, he already did the math. What is so it? So it's like 30 days continuous. Shit, 30 days continuous. He didn't watch it 30 days continuous. He, he broke said it up over a Between nine and 13 hours a day. Yeah. That's crazy, man. No, it's super crazy. I mean, was he doing other stuff? Was it not on in the background? Like, I mean, even if it was, that's still crazy. <laughs> but, well, I guess. No, it's it's a, there's a difference. Because you're I having mean, the no, background. He say. Yeah. 
I, even then I wouldn't do it. You still have to commit to having, okay, this is not the point. The point is that I was thinking, while I'm not gonna watch this movie, or sorry, not movie, while I'm not gonna spend all these hours engaging with an art project, I would like for myself to slow down in some way, or I would like to be not so controlled by capitalistic pace. Can you explain capitalistic pace in this context? I think it is what I just said, the, the instantaneous nature of going to 7-Eleven and buying Panadol. Wait, so you kind of want the self-punishment of needing to wait? Kind of. Okay. Is that stupid? I don't know. I'm saying it now. Are you re- the way you repeated it to me, now I feel kind of no, dumb. No, but, like, but I mean, it's like, I mean, there's certain, I mean. Because well, you call it self-punishment. <laughs> but I guess if I'm choosing it, then it's not punishment. No, but some people are gluttons for punishment. But I think what I'm trying to say is that what you just said is fine for certain like luxuries. Like, hey, I bought a, a T-shirt, right? I don't need it right away. I just, you know, it's a fashion T-shirt versus like, I really need toilet paper now, <laughs> right? Like, there's going to be differences there. Yeah, I guess that is what it is. It's like, I would like to, I, I'm not saying I have this concrete plan, but I would like to choose to wait for stuff. You know, if, if, if it makes a difference, not like wait in terms of like, you know, I need toilet paper. I'm not going to use toilet paper for the next month in order to not buy toilet paper. Like, that, that's not. Uh, yeah, like for me, I'm no longer enticed by this idea of, I, next day shipping like mm. arriving on my door because I don't know maybe this is stupid because like in some ways planning properly does prevent urges right yeah. no I think you're right you're right because like for me I, I had to buy something yesterday I was like oh you know what like ultimately it it wasn't like I was desperate for it which is why like I could wait yeah no I was just thinking about the concept of planning as a way to preempt instant purchases like as you said urge like falling into satisfying an urge yeah so maybe that's what this is about not like oh i need something right now and i'm gonna punish myself and not get it but that being intentional 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 about planning my purchases so i'm not in a position where i i'm getting something the second you know it occurs to me yeah because like that's another thing too is Amazon Prime is such an important aspect of people's, like, consumeristic lives in certain parts of the world, right? And for better or worse, we can't really participate within that in Asia because it's just impossible, right? Like, at its current sort of, like, setup, I can't order something and expect it on my doorstep the next day in Asia. So we're kind of forced to be a little bit more patient. And this is, like, another conversation, too, is, like, you know... Hong Kong's really convenient, but at the same time, it doesn't have that same sort of, like, next-day delivery infrastructure promise, which is, like, interesting because I think that everything is just expected to be, like, convenient Hong Kong, but it's such a loose term that if you get it within two days, that's still convenient Mm. versus, like, next day is the only definition of convenience. Well, I think also because the way Hong Kong is constructed is that if you needed it next day, then you would just go downstairs and find the closest approximation. One more, okay, lastly, the last thing, which is kind of different from this, like, idea of capitalistic time that this article had me thinking about is, as the author calls our attention to, the people who work on these freighter ships, like, they're still manned by humans. They're not yep. 
To a degree, yeah. They're not, auton- they're not totally autonomous. I mean, there's fewer crew now than there used to be. Yeah. But there, there's still people who handle the shipping of all of our products. And I, I think appreciating that has some value in it. I'm not saying that I like totally ignored this fact, but it is somehow increases your value of objects to realize that every part of it does involve human labor. You might treasure, treasure sounds so romantic, but respect. Yeah. Respect. I like respect more. You, you respect the, the process. Item. And yeah, the, you respect yeah. that process. So I guess the takeaway for you is that you're going to maybe even momentarily reconsider the way you interact with consumerism. <laughs> I've been sharing this article a lot with other people. Oh, really? Yeah. If you share this I mean, with I mean, me. Not that you need to read uh, it. I'm not I saying mean, people need to read it. I actually am very well aware that a lot of the things I share with people, they don't actually go and read. But I think, you no, know. No, you, I think you're a pretty good judge. Like if you share something, then like you you genuinely think the person on the other end will derive value. I think sharing the existence of this art project and then also the fact that an author chose to engage with the art project is a way of engaging with the world that is worth considering. You know, could could I do something similar? Yeah. It doesn't have to be so extreme. But let's say, I mean, you love the food metaphors, right? Let's say you would like love to them. appreciate the making of food better. Obviously, yes, you can go to a restaurant, you can talk to a chef. Maybe another way is I will watch the entire process of kitchen crew's preparation, start mm-hmm. to finish. Yeah, I think I would appreciate the experience of dining in better. It's interesting because now you've separated what the subject is into the act that led to the piece, if that makes sense. Like you're actually just as enamored with the fact this guy spent 30 days of his life. Yeah, I am. Yeah, both. i enamored with both. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by Sharice Poon and Eugene Can. 